0: with you. We are going to be in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 today. That's where we're going to kind of, we're going to jump around a lot as we do with these foundations sermons, but that's where we're going to kind of land today. So as I alluded to in the uh, prayer, today's topic is one that I've been, when we talked about doing this foundation series, uh, this was one that that was definitely on my radar. It was the one that I was most looking forward to. To digging into because today we're going to talk about the topic of the church. Who is the church? And <clears throat> excuse me. And the reason that that I just was so excited about that one is that's just kind of my heartbeat in ministry. The church is just something that I uh, just feel deeply connected to. It's something that I have a passion for. Uh, kind of it kind of weaves itself in and out of of my ministry. I just have a desire to see. Their church be, there would be more healthy churches in, in, our, uh, in our world, and so that's just kind of something that I just feel like God has specifically called me to in some way. I don't even know exactly what that's going to look like. I mean, I know what it looks like right now because I'm serving here at The Journey, and, and so that's my heartbeat and everything that I do with you guys. But uh, I don't know if that's if that's all that he has for me or if there's more, but whatever it is, I just want to be faithful to him in serving his church. It's just something I'm really passionate about. But when we dig into the topic of the church, I think we need to start first and foremost with definitions, because there's just kind of a, a little bit of, a, of confusion when it comes to the, the term church. We use that word in a lot of different ways to refer to a lot of different things. And so first and foremost, we typically use the word church to refer to a building, don't we? Like, oh yeah, my church is over there on Fifth Street, or my church meets at the Marietta High School, right? Right? It's like a, it's a building, right? We, we think about church, we talk about church, we're talking about a church building. The other way that we typically use the word church is to talk about the activities that happen within that building. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a frog in my throat, I'm sorry guys. So we talk about like, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and, and, you know, we do church at the, we do these things at church, right? And so it's like this, all the activities that happen inside of that building are what we refer to as church. But neither of those words or neither of those terms are actually what we see in the Bible for the word church. See, the word church in scripture is always talking about people. Let's look at a few examples. Matthew 18, 17 says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Acts 9.31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Acts 12.5, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. 1 Corinthians 1.2, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And another one, Ephesians 5, 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And what we see in all and all, all of those examples, and I could go on and on, the word church is actually used 113 times all in the New Testament. But all of those times, all of those uses, uses of the word church refer to people. They use personal language. It's talking about people. So today's sermon title isn't what is the church or where is the church, but rather it is who is the church. I think that's the foundational and we need to start right there. And that's the question that I want to try to answer for us today. But in doing so, I actually want to look at three important questions. There's actually three important questions that I really want to dig into today in regard to the church. The first one is that if the church is a people, then what people is it? Like, is it all people? Is it distinct certain people? How does someone become a part of the church? Like, is it like a club that you join? What what does that look like? The second question that I want to talk about is I want us to look at God's purpose for the church. That's Big C Church. So it's kind of like a 30,000 foot level view. So I want to look at Um, why the church is important and what is our mission as the church and then last but most certainly not least I want to speak directly to this local expression of the church what is God or what do I believe God is doing right here at the journey church how does the journey church why is it important in our daily lives as members of this church and again I want to speak real I want to kind of set the record straight on some things there because there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the local church you know, a lot of people kind of view church wrongly these days. They kind of have a perception of the church like the church is, is like a country club, right? So, you know, I'm a member of the church, and just like if I'm a member of a country club, like everything at the country club is there to make me happy. It's there to serve me, right? When I go to the country club, everybody there is there to serve me, to make my life better, to meet my needs, and I think very commonly in many of our churches today, even sometimes we're, I'm sure we're guilty of it here. We make the, And even times I'm guilty of it, right? But we make the church all about us. That everything that the church does is here for me, it's here to meet my needs, it's here to serve me. So we're going to dig in there a bit, and I think we're going to get a little bit dirty. We're going to get into a little bit of the mess, but I think it's important for us to dig in there because I love you guys, I love this church. I want us to be healthy, and so I think those are just things that we, we can't ignore, we need to talk about. So let's get started, I there's a lot of stuff to cover, and I know we've got a short time, so we're going to dig in. We're going to start with question number one, who is the church? And we're going to dig in in First Peter uh, chapter 2. We're just going to take two verses today, verses 9 and 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, this little snippet here, I think, is of greater value for us if we understand the context. And so if you've been here for a while, you remember that I guess that was like the end of last year and maybe through 2019. I don't know, it becomes a blur with the whole COVID thing. But Joe and I preached through the book of 1 Peter, so we actually have already covered this verse during that time. But if you remember the book of 1 Peter, it's, it's what we call an epistle. An epistle is just a fancy word that we use for a letter. So a good portion of the New Testament is made up of epistles, and those are just letters that were written by the apostles and by the early church leaders to various churches to encourage them, to instruct them, to kind of set things right or teach them. And so this is one of those many epistles that we find in the New Testament. So Peter wrote this letter to a particular group of people. And he had a particular purpose in doing that. And so if we turn the page back to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we read every epistle, because it's a letter, it has a greeting. And so if we look at the greeting to the epistle, then we can see who who the, the author was writing to. So Peter here says in, in verse in chapter 1, verses 1, he says, but P, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace be multiplied to you. So why is this important? Why is it important for us to know who Peter's writing to? Well, because if we know who he's writing to, then when we see the word you here in uh, chapter 2, verse 9, we know who he's referring to, right? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church in those various places that we just looked at. So when we say, who is the church? We can answer that question by uh, by saying that the church is, in verse 9, a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's great news, right? Except it's a little bit confusing. Like, what does all of that mean? If that's who the church is, what does it actually mean? Well, let's skip over the second half of verse 9 and then keep looking in verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right, so let's piece this all together because it's really important for our time today. When the Bible is talking about the church, it is talking about a very specific group of people. We need to understand that. It's not everybody, but it's a very specific and distinct group of people. And the reason why understanding this is so important is because we have so watered down in our culture the definition of the church. I think the biblical answer to the question of who is the church is very simply what peter uses in chapter one there in his greeting it's the elect and we use that word and there's a lot of confusion about that word but it's all over the bible and basically the elect is just referring to god's people god's chosen race right it's god's people those who have been set apart by god for a particular purpose according to his good and perfect will it's the people that have experienced the transformative power of jesus christ right it's christian it's Christians who are make up the church and the ultimate purpose of the church is to glorify Christ by the transformational power of his gospel in his redeeming work of salvation and our gracious union to him through his spirit which leads to good works let me say that again I actually wanted to read that word for word because it's a mouthful the ultimate purpose of the church is to glorify Christ by the transformational power of of his gospel, in his redeeming work of salvation, and our gracious union to him through his spirit, which leads to good works. I know that's a mouthful. I know that's a lot to digest. I'm going to try to explain that in more detail, but I think the most simple way to say it is that the church is Christians. It is those who are in Christ, but I think that can be problematic because there's an overwhelming majority of people in the church today who don't actually know what it means to be a Christian, right? We've so watered down the definition of what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be a part of his church, that we just don't even know what that means anymore. We have all these ideas about what it means to be a Christian that aren't found anywhere in the Bible. And, you know, I think that there's so many people that have bought into a counterfeit Christianity And that just absolutely terrifies me. It really does. See, one of the most impactful verses in all of Scripture or passages in all of Scripture for me comes from Matthew chapter 7. It's kind of the heartbeat of everything that I do. I want to share it with you. I know you guys have heard me reference this before, but it's just, it builds everything in my philosophy and how I do ministry. And so it's really important. And I want to share it with you here today. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, and this is the scary part, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, if we're to take Jesus at his word, which I think is a pretty safe bet and we should, then what we should accept and believe about the church is that there's a lot of people within our churches who aren't actually Christians. There's a lot of people sitting in churches right now around the world who don't actually know the Lord in a saving way. They're not actually Christians. They've bought into this idea of doing Christian things, speaking Christianese. Doing all these different good works and things to try to make themselves look appealing to God. But they're not actually Christians. They don't actually know him. And when time comes to stand before the Lord in judgment, he's going to say, away from me, I never knew you. And they're going to point to all of their Christian works, all their religion. They're going to say, but Lord, we did all these things. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That terrifies me. If that doesn't terrify you then you know, I don't know. I don't know how to, how to respond to that because that's terrifying. How many people do we know? How many people sitting in this room right now? How many people, in our, our friends, our family that profess to be Christians aren't actually Christians, don't actually know the Lord? It's very scary to me. In 2005, researcher Christian Smith from the University of North Carolina, he did some research and talked to to people here in the United States about their beliefs and what kind of forms their beliefs. And what he found was pretty shocking. He coined the term moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism to describe the fundamental beliefs of many people here in America. And what does moralistic therapeutic deism mean? Well, it's kind of characterized by a lot of different ideas, ideas like this. Number one, God, ex- a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Okay? I think we can buy into that. That's 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 good. We believe that. That's in the scriptures. Number 2. God wants people to be good, nice and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Okay? I mean, I'm, I can I can get on board with that, right? Like God does want us to treat one another kindly and 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 well and care about people. I mean, that's that's true. Here's where it starts to get a little bit more off the rails, right? So we started out okay we're on a good track but here's where it starts to derail number three the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself we like that but is that really what God's purpose is for our lives there's a lot of churches that are making growing big congregations and making lots of money by preaching that message to people, right? Because everybody wants to be go somewhere and hear something that's going to make them feel good about themselves. I love to hear things that make me feel good about myself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Ouch! Is that one hit close to home? Right, God, the, the trunk monkey. Right, keep him in the back seat or in the trunk somewhere until we get a flat tire and we let him out so he can help fix the problem in our life. But otherwise, God, I got this. So on cruise control, please just leave me alone. Let me do my thing. I'll I'll call you. You don't call me, right? Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Well, I mean, a lot of us believe that. A lot of us grew up believing that, right? It's true to an extent, right? I mean, we talked about heaven, right? I mean, those that are in heaven are those who are righteous, but whose righteousness do we depend on? Is it our own or is it someone else's, right? We've talked about this all the time here. You guys, we know this one, right? It's not our righteousness, it's the righteousness of Christ that we depend on. So when we say good people, right, that definition gets real squirly real quick, doesn't it? What does it mean to be a good person? I mean, we have all these ideas and that's where the moralistic part comes in, right? If we do all these good things if we obey the law if we pay our taxes if we don't lie cheat steal right if we if we have the scales of justice and we balance up more good deeds on one side to outweigh our bad deeds and the scale tips in our favor and then god approves of us and we get to go to heaven when we die you see this hits so close to home with us and it's it's not different today than it was even in jesus's own time You see, some of Jesus' harshest and strongest opponents were the Pharisees and the religious elite of the day, right? Those were the people that he most often butted heads against. And why? Because they had replaced their reliance upon God and worship of God with a works-based self-righteousness, right, that made them their own functional little g-gods. We all tend to do that, don't we? Right? We want to be able to pile up our good works so that we can be responsible for our own salvation. We can earn it. We can do it. It can be all about us. And then we no longer need big G God because we're our own little G gods and our own little kingdom where we rule, where we make the rules, where it's all about us. So all of this kind of leads us into question number two. Question number two, what is God's purpose for the church and why is it so important to his plan of redemption and human flourishing? Or maybe I can say that in an easier way or phrase it differently. Why is it so important that we rightly understand God's purpose in and through the church? Let's look again at First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If I were to boil this verse down to one phrase or one term, it would be set apart, right? That's the language that we see there. All of the language points to a group of people who have been set apart for a particular purpose. They're distinct from everyone else. We see a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We talked about what the term holy means when we talked about who God is. And if you recall from that message, when I described or defined for you the term holiness, what I said is that holiness is the attribute of God that defines or, or points to the things about God that make him distinct from everything else in creation, right? It's his otherness. It's the things that make God different from us and from everything that he has created. So when he uses the term holy nation, he isn't simply talking about a holy people like a morally clean people but rather he's talking about a people who have been set apart they're distinct from everyone else they look different from the world they're distinct from the world they're other than God sets them apart for his own purposes they are the the difference between the sheep and the goats right we see that time and time again in the scriptures but let's zero in on one term that Peter uses here because I think it's really super important for us in our understanding of the church and it's so easy to glance right past it. What does he mean when he says a royal priesthood? What does he mean when he says a royal priesthood? That, of all the, the terms that he uses, that one's the one that's kind of weird to us, right? Like, what exactly is he talking about there? What does he mean? See, this is a reference for God's intention in creation from the beginning of the world, right? God created mankind to serve a distinct purpose in his creation, we see this in the creation narrative when, when it talks about God's creation of man, how it's different from the way that he created everything else. Man is the crown jewel of God's creation. He has a distinct purpose for man. This is a reference for everything about mankind before the fall, and we see this purpose for God in mankind lived out perfectly and displayed perfectly for us in Jesus Christ. See, in the creation narrative... From Genesis, we see that God gives mankind or Adam um, both dominion, that is authority over the creation, and a distinct responsibility to care for it, right? So he has authority over it and the responsibility to take care for it, to steward well what God has entrusted to him. We see later these roles come up in the nation of Israel as well, where we have the king who has the authority over the people and we have the priests. Who mediate God's blessing to the people. And finally in Christ, we see this lived out perfectly as he again unites and fulfills the roles of both the king and the priest perfectly in one man. So the king mediates God's rule over the world and the priest mediates God's blessing to the world and we see these two roles that were initially meant to be together in one in mankind brought perfectly back into union in Jesus Christ. Where he serves as both the king to rule over the creation and the priest who mediates the blessing to the creation, the way that God had always intended. So the church's ultimate purpose is to serve and as an extension of Christ and the fulfillment of God's ultimate purpose in having dominion over the world, and mediating God's blessing. So we serve as an extension of God as we mediate his rule and his blessing to the world. That's our purpose. Our purpose is not, as we've so often gotten wrong, as the nation of Israel so often gotten wrong, it's not to build walls around us, right, and say we're special and keep everyone else out, but rather our role is to go into the world, to mediate God's rule and blessing into the world, to serve the world. That's what it is if we boil it down to its basic form. It's to serve the world, to love and serve all of creation. Now, I think we can all agree that this is a very different perspective from what we see in many churches today, isn't it? Isn't it very different from what we see, especially here in the West? So if the church is made up of Christians and 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 this is God's purpose for the church, then again, I have to ask... I think this paints a very different picture of Christianity than the one that we see, doesn't it? I think it's very different from what many of us have been sold as Christianity. I think it's very different from what many people have bought into and believed about Christianity. You see, it sounds to me like the purpose of the church is outward focused, not inward focused. It seems that, that the Christian life is more about focusing on others than on the self. In Christ's upside down kingdom, the last are first and the first are last. Who's the first person you always think about? Let's be honest, right? It's it's me, right? It's you. Like when like the first person that always comes to mind is always you, right? But in Christ's kingdom, the first become last and the last become first, right? So we set aside that desire to think about our wants, our needs. What makes us happy, our preferences, we set that aside and we think about and we care about and we focus more on other people. That's difficult, right? But that's the call of following Christ. That's Christ's plan for his world. He flips that mindset over on its head. And that can be really painful. It's a fundamental mind shift, isn't it? I mean, that's, we talk about repentance as changing directions, right? Going from one direction. 180 degrees in the opposite direction, I mean, it doesn't get any more 180 degree turn than that, right? When I stop thinking about everything that, that makes me happy and that I need, I set all that stuff aside and I start thinking about what's best for other people. And that flies in the face of that moralistic therapeutic deism, right? If God's purpose is just that we would be happy and it'd be all about us, we can see how that departs from what scripture actually teaches us. This completely transforms the way you think, doesn't it, about everything, about your resources, about your time, about your family, about your community, about your job, your livelihood, everything gets re- reoriented and transformed. And this outward focus, focused, selfless worldview ties directly to Jesus' marching orders for the church, doesn't it? We see it in both the Great Commandment and the Great Commission great commandment, right, is love God, love others, boiled down very simply. And kind of intrinsically in that is also this idea of serving God and serving others. It's kind of built in there because don't we express love by serving? That's what Jesus taught us, right? He said, greater love has none than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends, right? So Jesus says the greatest expression of love is when that one would lay down their life, can't serve people more than that, right? More than Jesus did. The other one is the Great Commission. Boiled down real simply, it's share the gospel, make disciples, right? Share the gospel, make disciples. We see this also in the second half of verse 9, where he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, share the transformational hope of the gospel with everyone. Anyone, anyone that will listen, because that's what pulls us out of death and into light, pulls us out of darkness and into light. This is the mission of the church. It doesn't get any more important than that. I want to emphasize that because in our churches, particularly over the last maybe half century, we've started to see a fundamental shift away from that, right? We've started to focus our time and our energy on a lot of other things. A lot of secondary things have become primary in many of our churches, So let me be explicit here so there's no confusion about it, right? The primary mission of the church is to make disciples, not to legislate morality, not socioeconomic equality, not social justice, not politics, or anything else that you would put in there. The primary mission of the church is to make disciples. That doesn't mean that those other things aren't aren't important. It doesn't mean that the way that we think And we feel and we exercise our rights as citizens shouldn't be focused on some of those things, right? Protecting those who are oppressed, those who are weak, those who are marginalized, those who are are being abused. It is our call as Christians to serve the least of these, to protect those that are being abused or marginalized or oppressed, right? Those things are important. They're good things, but they're not the primary thing. See, the root of all of the problems in the world, all of the things that lead to all of those things, all the ugly and horrible and disgusting things that human beings have done to other human beings over the history of the world, the root of the problem is sin. So we can't fix that problem with anything but the power of the gospel. We can't legislate change. No matter how many laws we write, people will sin because people are sinners. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. And so we're going to do sinful things. And the only solution to that problem is the hope and power of the gospel. Nothing else can fix the problem. So when we put all of these secondary things primary, when we lose sight of our job in sharing the gospel and we start to focus on trying to correct all of the things we see that are wrong in the world, do you not see how we're missing the mark? How we're losing track of what's most important? How we're really failing to be effective at what Christ has called us to do? You see, if you call yourself a Christian, then every aspect of your life should reflect Christ's likeness to the watching world. But the primary problem, again, is sin. And the answer to sin is the gospel of Christ. We cannot put the cart before the horse. If we do, we we are not going to be effective in the mission that Christ has called us to. So that gives us that 30,000-foot macro-level view of the church, but what about right here, right about right here on the ground for us at the Journey Church, right here and right now? How does this stuff impact us? What is God's purpose for us right here and right now? That's question number three that I want to answer today. You see, as we've been discussing the church, uh, the church serves us an important role in God's plan and redemptive history. That's what we've been talking about here today. We are the hands and feet of Christ in this world. We serve as his ambassadors in a world that desperately needs to hear his gospel, that desperately needs to know him and his hope. We are his hands and his feet. We we talked about that. That's what we just talked about. But the church also serves a vital role inwardly too. The church is here in many ways to serve and love and support one another as we go through life together. See, God has not intended us to go through life as little soldiers on an island, all of our own, fighting a battle all on our own. But rather he has called us to unite together, to work together for the sake of the gospel, to love and care for the world, but also to love and care for and serve one another. That's why we're here. That's why this local expression of the church here at The Journey exists. That's why every other church in our towns, in our cities, in our world should exist. It's so that we can do this work of, the, of sharing the gospel together and that we can love and support one another in doing it. You see, we use the term brothers and sisters to refer to our fellow Christians because God's plan for the church is much like his plan for the family. What's God's plan for the family? It's that we would be a unit together, that we would serve one another, that we would support one another, that we would love one another. So just as in my home I love and support my kids and, and I do things to serve them and they do things to serve our family as well, and we love and support one another and we're there for one another, that's God's intention for the church as well. It's this idea of nurturing, loving, and supporting, but also... And we can't lose sight of this. Also, sometimes instruction and discipline. Like sometimes I need to step in to my kids' lives as their father, and I need to give them instruction or I need to discipline them to kind of help correct things where they're going off the rails, to pull them back into a right relationship with the Lord, with their their family, with their society, right? Sometimes I need to do discipline. It's not fun, but it's something that we ultimately sometimes have to do, and the purpose in discipline and instruction is always for well-being, right? I don't discipline my kids to hurt them or because I hate them, but rather I discipline my kids when I have to because I love them, because I don't want them to get hurt. Like how unloving would it be to see my kids or to see your brother and sister running into danger, running into to, to death, right, and just to let them go. That's not the loving thing to do, This is true of the local church. We are called to carry one another's burdens, just like a family, to provide for one another's needs, just like a family, to encourage one another, just like a family, to pray for one another, just like a family, to hold one another accountable and to call one another to repentance when necessary, to do discipline, just like a family. And deacons are called to care for the physical needs of the church and elders called to serve the spiritual needs of the church as they shepherd the flock. And those who have submitted themselves to such roles within the church will be judged accordingly to how they have been faithful to to stewarding well what God has entrusted to them. It's an awesome responsibility. You see, the church and its leaders are intended by God to exercise authority over one another and to submit to authority of the church. This is a wildly unpopular idea in our society today, isn't it? You see, when the church tries to exercise discipline over our lives, how do we typically respond to that? When when someone comes to us and says, "Hey, man, I, th- I think you're I think you're getting off the rails, and I love you, and I wanna I wanna help you." How do we typically respond to that? Sometimes we respond well if we can be humble enough to actually look in the mirror and see our own sin. But oftentimes, what happens is we just run from that, don't we? Say, "Who are you to talk talk to me? Who are you to tell me anything?" Right? I, I don't like that. I can very simply just leave and go to another church. There's a dozen within walking distance, right? I can just go find another church. So we flee from the church's authority. We, we don't submit. And so many churches have shrunk back on discipline, right? We've, we've, we've gotten away from speaking truth into one another's lives, from calling one another to repentance because it's just uncomfortable and we know people are gonna get offended and we don't, we wanna, we don't wanna do that. So we, we wear our kid gloves and we just keep everything at arm's distance and we shrink back from doing discipline and being effective. And we see the same thing in many families, don't we? Where parents have shrunk back on discipline. And so we see families and kids that are out of control. It's sad. It's a sad state of things. Moreover, the, the church's authority only extends to it to its own those who have submitted themselves to the local church my authority as an elder our authority as a church only extends to those who have submitted themselves to our leadership and to this church family see many people today treat the church like a dating relationship don't they like they're just constantly dating the church but never want to commit so if things get difficult or messy or they're not fun anymore they don't feel good just move on to a new dating relationship with a different church. So we don't get in the mess with one another, but rather we just like, I don't don't like that anymore. It doesn't make me feel good there. I'm going to move on somewhere else. I'm going to find somewhere that does make me feel good. It's just a dating relationship. We don't want to commit. We want churches that appeal to our likes and our wants instead of our needs. See, I like this type of music, or I like that type of preaching, or this type of kids' ministry, or... You know, this church meets at a time that's convenient for me, or I like the people there, or I like the style, or they have a cool light and laser show and a fog machine that looks real cool, and I like that. Whatever it is, we, we pick our churches for all of these secondary, superficial things. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's value in finding a church in your local community that you connect to, that, that, that is, is plugged into where you live. And there's, of course, value in finding a church that's faithful in the way that it preaches, the way that it worships, that's faithful to the scriptures. I mean, that's important, right? Don't get me wrong. Those things are important. But what's primary? See, we too often allow our preferences to take precedence over the things that are most important in our lives. See, many p- people today have the commitment issue when it comes to the church you see we often undervalue the importance of church membership right it's, it's something that we've 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 scaled back just like many other things in our churches for the sake of being appealing to people for the sake of making people comfortable we've scaled back I've, I said it once before and I, and I still believe it's true I think it's harder to get a credit card in our society than it is to become a, a church member right we don't fully vet people that come we don't indoctrinate them into the faith right we you know we we focus on numbers we did 37 baptisms last year and none of those people are still coming to church because we baptized them and we made them feel good and said you've done the you've done what you need to do you said your magical incantation you've placed your faith in christ and now you've walked away and there's been no follow-up there's been no discipleship There's been no one to come alongside those people and invest in them, teach them the truths of the scriptures, any of those things, right? That's why I'm so opposed to like the, the street evangelism thing where it's like make decisions you don't want to go to you don't want to go to hell do you right make a decision right now and then you get this person of course no one wants to go to hell that sounds awful and so you get people to make these decisions and then you say see you later you you, know, you have a video you post it on youtube and then you say see you later but you don't know did that person get plugged into a local church do they even understand what you presented to them did you disciple them in any way or have you just given them this false assurance that all we need to do is say that magical sinner's prayer, that magical incantation, and then everything's fixed in our lives. And we can just go on about living the same way that we did before, but now we don't have to worry about ending up in hell. Because that's our that's our biggest fear, isn't it? The flip side of the coin is that we've also created church environments that allow people to be comfortable as lifetime visitors. Right? We don't ask our people, even our, even our members, right? There's no expectation for service. You can join a church, you can claim to be a member, you can sign your membership form, and you can be a church member, but there's no expectation then that you'll serve, that you'll give, that you'll do anything. You can come, you can be a sponge, and you can suck up all the resources because church is here for you, right? It's all about you. So there's no expectation that you do anything. And if someone were to come to you and say, well, hey, you're a member of this church could you help serve in this area? Like, how dare you? I'm here for me, right? I don't want to serve in kids, men. I'm here to let my kids be out there with those people so I don't have to deal with them for an hour, right? Or I don't want to serve on tearing down because uh, that's inconvenient for me. I got to stay a little bit late and I'm going to be late and then when I get to the Mexican restaurant after church, it's going to be crowded and that's going to suck, right? Or how dare you talk to me about giving my resources? My money's for me. All those things. And we don't, don't get me wrong, like I'm not, that's not what's primary. Like that's not what we're here for. But if you're a member of a church, like isn't that what God intends for us? Isn't that what it's all about? If it's it's an others-focused environment, then shouldn't it be more about serving others than being served? And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be overly critical of our church. I think we have a great church family. I think we do a very good job of serving one another. I mean, we're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this at times. But I think, you know, as a whole, we have a very good, a very healthy church family. But if we don't think about these things, if we don't keep them on the forefront of our minds, then I think it's very easy for us to fall into those patterns that we see in so many other churches. I mean, the church that, that my wife and I came from in Virginia before we moved here was five times the size of this church. And you know who did all the work? A very small percentage of the people. There was plenty of people, plenty of resources, and everybody was there to just be served and to not serve. And we don't want that to be what our church is known for. right? We want to be a church that's known for serving others, for loving others. I think at times we can all be guilty into falling into some of these traps. So I know I need to wrap things up, and, and you know I know we're, we're, we're short on time. But just as, as we close here, I think, you know, this is a topic that I really care deeply about. I think you can see that. I think if you know me, if you spend time with me, if you read the things that I write and uh, the way that I teach, I mean, it's just something that I'm passionate about. And as an elder here at the church, I take it as my responsibility, and I believe that you believe by ordaining me that it's my responsibility to love and serve and shepherd you well and to care for you well. And so that's what I want to do here today. So, please don't take anything that I'm saying here as overly harsh or critical. I'm just trying to love and serve you well. But I think one of the best ways that I can do that is just leave you with a few questions for reflection. That's what I want to do as I close our time here today. I want to just leave you with a few questions for reflection that you can focus on this week. Question number one What does it mean to you to be a member of the local church? What does it mean to you to be a member of this local church? Question number two, are you giving of your resources, your time, and your talents to support the church and to serve the church? Is it something that you're doing? Is it something that's important to you? Question number three, are you actively participating in the life of the church? Are you actively participating here? Or is it just one hour that you you can give up one hour on a Sunday to be here? Or are you actively plugged in and participating in the life of the church? Question number four Are you holding yourself accountable to the church and submitting to its authority in your life? Are you, do you have a teachable heart? Are you someone that someone can come and talk to when they see you running into air and say, hey, hey, man, hey, 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 friend, hey, sister, hey, brother, I love you. Um, I'm worried about you. Can we have that conversation? Are you someone that will respond to that conversation with a humble heart or will you just walk away, find somewhere else where someone's not going to hold you accountable? Question number five, are you investing in the lives of your brothers and sisters in this church? Are you loving them? Are you supporting them? Are you encouraging them? Are you calling them to repent when necessary? Are you providing for their needs? Are you faithful to pray for them? We have that, that prayer loft thing where we can share prayer needs it's kind of been a bit of a dud if i'm being honest like we we set this up and we very rarely use it i don't know how often times people are checking on it we oftentimes probably don't want to share what's going on in our lives because we've created church environments where we come in on a sunday morning and we put on our game face right we put on our sunday best we put on our our mask we come in and someone says hey how are you doing i'm doing great meanwhile the house is burning down all around you right but we never let anybody into that because it's not a safe place. Churches haven't been a safe place. It's rather than being a safe where we a place a safe place where we love and encourage one another, it's a place where we come and if we are actually honest about some of the ugly stuff in our lives, then what we're going to see is we're going to see judgment. That's what we that's what the church has has uh, portrayed, and so that's what people believe, and that's not what we want for the journey. We want this to be a safe place. We want it to be a place where we can come and we can just talk about our struggles. Some of the most refreshing conversations I've ever had in ministry are really hard questions or really hard conversations where people are, are talking about really ugly things that are going on in their lives. It's not fun and I don't enjoy that but it's just refreshing to see somebody just be honest about it. I know for a long, long time I struggled in silence in a whole bunch of ways in churches. I grew up in a church, but I struggled with things in silence because I didn't feel like it was a safe place for me to actually talk about what I was struggling with. That's not what we want here for the journey. Question number six, if you attend here regularly but aren't a member, why not? Are you just dating this church? And don't get me wrong, Like I know people come from a lot of backgrounds. I know there's people that have been really wounded and hurt by the church, and they're really afraid to commit. I understand that. But let's talk about those things. Let's work through those things. Let's address those things. And let's make this a place that's safe for people to come that have been wounded and been hurt. And help teach them why it's so important to, to submit your life to the local church. Are you just dating the church? And are you afraid to commit? And in so doing, are you missing out on a vital resource that God has for your life? I know these are difficult questions, but I'd encourage you to reflect on them in the coming week. To think about the just how what does your relationship with the church look like? Do a relationship assessment on your relationship with the church. Right? I mean relationships, and this is a relationship. Relationships require a lot of work. They're not always easy. They're not always fun and they require a lot of effort to be fruitful and to be beneficial and to be healthy. So prayerfully consider these questions this week about your relationship with the church. You see, in preparing this sermon, it was apparent to me that there was a lot of areas, even in my own life, in my own heart, I need to do some work, that I need to do some repentance on in terms of my attitude towards the church and in the terms of ways that I think about the church. I mean, I oftentimes say this, like when I preach a sermon, and I've preached some doozies, and if you guys feel like I'm, I'm beating up on you guys, like, trust me, that's because I got run through the ringer when I was preparing it, All right? God beats me up big time. So much stuff ends up on the cutting floor or It's just for me in preparing a sermon. I get uh, probably more out of it than I could ever offer to you guys. So if you feel like I'm being, I'm being hard on you, trust me, God's being hard on me. I know there's things in my own life that I need to work on and I need to repent about when it comes to my attitude towards the church, See, it's so easy for us to neglect or take for granted our relationship with the church. So let us seek to love the bride of Christ with our whole hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this church. Lord, I'm just so thankful to be a part of the Journey Church. I'm so thankful for all the ways that you've used this church community to minister to my own life, all the things that you've taught me Through the people here at this church all the ways that you've blessed me through the people of this church and lord i just pray lord that you would continue to work in the hearts and minds of our church family lord i pray in the areas where we need to repent in the areas where we have been um unfaithful in the in the areas where we've been um, more inwardly focused on ourselves than outwardly focused on others that you would just uh, do the work in our hearts to help us to repent of that. And Lord, most of all, I just pray that for those that, that might be here, that might be hearing these things this morning, that maybe are, are sitting in churches all around the world this morning, Lord, that, that are believing and have bought into a counterfeit Christianity, Lord, that you would do a mighty work, that you would put somebody in their life that can speak truth, that can share the true hope of the gospel with them so that they can stop trying to, to do enough to make you, pleased with them, Lord, but that they can just trust in the work that's already been accomplished by Jesus upon the cross. That they can lean into the hope of the gospel. May we all always lean in to the hope of the gospel and not make it about ourselves and about what we can do. And Lord, I just pray that as we leave this place that those questions that I ask that that you would help us to, to, to draw them to mind, that we would focus on them this week. We would prayerfully consider all the ways in which we're failing to love your bride well. We ask all these things in your most beautiful name. Amen.